What's going on, guys? Uh, getting close to playoff time. Hopefully your season's going well. Uh, we're bringing a little bit different podcast episode to you. Uh, we got a principal out of Alabama, uh, kind of shine a light on that side of our jobs as well. Uh, I know most of us that list, most of you guys that listen are like us, high school coaches. So um, it's obviously not just about coaching; it's about uh, in the classroom as well. So bringing bringing a little bit different spin to it, and, and really excited about that. If you guys haven't yet, make sure you go check out our website, runthepower.com. Uh, go check out both of our memberships, one free, one's a uh, very, very low minimum payment a month, um, and, and we've been really excited. It's been growing, uh, so you guys go check that out as well. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are soft shell helmet covers that reduce impact during practice. They're worn by over 1,000 high schools like mine at Broken Arrow and Coach Walls over at Ankeny, and over 100 colleges like Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. Most programs utilize them for their guys in the box to, to address the repetitive, subconcussive blows that add up throughout the season or an athlete's career. In fact, you can see what Lincoln Riley has to say about uh, the Guardian Caps in the linked articles on our show notes on runthepower.com. They're also great for body blows, helmets to knees, hips, quarterback's hands, all while keeping the helmets looking good for game day and protecting speed flexes from cracking. Check out guardiancaps.com and request a quote for great team pricing. This episode is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to athletics programs around the country. Whether you write your own program, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Visit their website and start a 14-day free trial. And right now, Team Builder is offering coaches a complimentary in-season football strength program. As you may recall, the New England Patriots squat up to 90% of their one rep max deep into the playoffs. If your in-season strength and conditioning is to just maintain, then you're doing it wrong. You can get the template once you start a 14-day trial with Team Builder. Just reach out to them and tell them that you heard it from us and the podcast. Go visit Team Builder at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the always powerful Sideline Power. Uh, Sideline Power offers a cutting-edge technology and innovation. Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of the product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. Family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality, Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. Visit sidelinepower.com by email at info at sidelinepower.com or just give them a call at 800-496-4290. And then last but never least, SkyCoach. SkyCoach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. Uh, we see you guys all over Twitter uh, complaining about uh, a, a multiple different types of, of sideline replay technology and about it crashing or not working for you. I've had the pleasure of getting to use SkyCoach the past four years of my coaching career at Broken Arrow. Hasn't happened to us once, and I get the butt shot and the wide shot uh, for our offensive coordinator seconds after the play is over. Um, it's awesome. 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium, any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. To be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. 
Sky Coach is the market leader in sideline replay. Visit them at myskycoach.com to learn more. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Danny Steele. Danny's a principal, writer, and speaker from Birmingham, Alabama, and one of the most followed educational leaders on social media. Listen as we talk with Danny about the challenges and opportunities in educational leadership, the importance of football coaches in your building, and strategies to improve leadership within your school and staff. You can follow Danny Steele on Twitter at Steele Thoughts. Hope you guys enjoy. I was a science guy too, so you got a, you got a couple of, of science teachers that actually you know coach football, and it's kind of funny when you you kind of first go into some of these meetings. You know, a, a lot of the teachers I think kind of carry some of the preconceived notions, like oh he's going to teach PE or oh they teach you know social studies. Uh, but coach Coach Harper and myself have both been science guys, and that's maybe why we're we're always kind of you know fascinated with new things. We want to learn new things, and we're always asking why. So you got a couple of science teachers on here, man. Cool. Well, I was a history teacher for eight years, um, and I coached all eight years. Uh, and I love football, but I never coached football. I coached some basketball, soccer, and volleyball. Hmm. So never coached football, but I've been to um, uh, certainly a, you know hundreds of high school games in the last 25 years. Well, you're definitely down there in the hotbed. So I guess, you know, we, we kind of let you start off and tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of how you, you got into your career, you know, were there some, some mentors or, or a person, a teacher maybe that kind of pushed you into the educational field and, and talk a little bit about kind of, you know, your, your resume and, and uh, stops maybe you've made along the way. All right. Well, um, first of all, guys, I really appreciate you, you um, having me on. It's a, uh, it's, uh, it's always fun to talk with some um, other passionate educators um, who are committed to, um, you know, making a difference in, in our little world and, and also connecting educators across the country. Um, so I, I never really liked school and didn't have, <laughs> didn't have a lot of good experiences and, you know, not very many positive, memorable teachers. And I uh, moved around a lot, which was hard for me, um, you know, trying to fit in and make friends. So, um, but it did come kind of easy to me. I made pretty good grades, uh, just didn't like it. So I was going to college and my major was sociology. I was gonna be a probation officer. That was, that was my, what I thought my career path was gonna be. And in, the spring of 1989, which was, um, I'm sorry, fall of 89, was my sophomore year of college. I listened to a tape, uh, you know, this was an audio tape of a, of a talk that a fella did. His, he, he was a guy named Guy Dowd, who was the 1986 National Teacher of the Year. He was an English teacher out of uh, Minnesota. And so it was like an hour long talk. And he just talked about his experience uh, as a kid growing up in school. And he talked about his experience as a young teacher. And the, he just told so many poignant stories about the difference that teachers made for him and the potential that he's had, the opportunities he's had, had to make a difference for, for students 
in his high school class over the years. And, you know, there's one expression that really stood out to me or, or one thing he said, he talked, he, he would say, I don't teach English. I teach kids. And, you know, listen, I listened to that tape so many times and I ended up changing my major, uh, just listening to him talk. I changed my major to education and history. History was what I was most interested in. And so I decided I was going to be a high school history teacher and coach. That was kind of my goal. Or that's the direction I had headed. And, and for me, it's never really about the history. I mean, I loved history, but for me, it was from the get-go, it was about kids. And, uh, and I loved coaching. So I, I coached for the, taught and coached for the first four years of my career uh, in the inner city of Birmingham. And great experience. There were some great kids, uh, sort of trial by fire, you know, like any new teacher, learning the ropes and, and learning about uh, how to manage how to manage kids. And then the next four years, I taught and coached at a junior high that was uh, literally the most affluent suburb in Alabama, one of the most affluent in the southeast. And so I had, you know, I've experienced uh, a lot of different kids uh, across the, the, the spectrum in terms of demographics. And certainly one of the things that always struck me is that kids are kids. I mean, in, in, the, in the affluent school I was in, you know, those students all had lake houses. They had all, you know, designer clothes and nannies at their house and everything else. But every kid wants to be valued. Every kid wants to be respected. Every kid wants to feel like they're a part of something. Every kid wants to be successful. And so, you know, certainly kids have some differences. Some kids grow up with more advantages than others. Some kids have more obstacles to overcome than others, but kids have a whole lot in common. And kids respond universally to respect and they respond universally to kindness. Uh, so anyway, so I taught and coached for eight years and I, I got, wanted to get into administration. So I was an assistant principal uh, in uh, four different high schools for about 10 years in different demographic spectrums from very affluent to basically 100% uh, free and reduced lunch. And um, I've, I was a high school principal for three years and uh, I am starting my fifth year as principal at a sixth grade center. So I've got right now a school with 500 sixth graders and an awesome faculty. And um, so just finished my 25th year in education and um, it's, it's been a privilege. I've, I've worked with so many great educators over the years and, um, and gotten to know some really neat kids over the years. So, um, you know, been, been very blessed to have the career I've had. What are some of the things, you know, you've seen uh, throughout? I mean, obviously you're involved in the, the hiring process quite a bit, but what are some of the, the same things you see in, in people? Uh, obviously, it's probably not like personality things, but the, maybe the things that they all have in common of being, you know, a very, very successful teacher, uh, a very, very happy teacher, you know, people who you don't, you're not constantly having to, to go talk to them or talk them off the ledge because they're disgruntled. You know, what, what are some things maybe that you're kind of looking for when you hire them and then also that you've noticed when those people are super successful and you're like, man, I could put that person in any classroom? That's a good question. Um, uh, yeah, I've been in hundreds, uh, hundreds and hundreds of interviews over the last, I've been in administration now for, uh, I guess, 18 years and, uh, or 17 years. 
And I, I was interviewing an English, it's one of the most memorable interviews I've ever done. Probably about five years ago, I was interviewing a teacher, a high school teacher. And he was a young guy. He had taught for maybe three or four years uh, at another school. And I asked him this question. I said, you know, every faculty in America has got teachers on a continuum. There are, at one end of the continuum are teachers that they're just absolutely on fire. They're rock stars. These are the teachers that when kids graduate, they come back to visit. These are the kids that at registration, when the kids pick up their schedule and they see that teacher's name, their eyes light up because they know the awesome reputation that teacher has. So every, every school has those teachers. Uh, then every school also has teachers that, you know, should have retired several years ago. They just, for whatever reason, can't bring themselves to do it, but they seem to be just collecting a paycheck. And then you've got teachers all along. And so I asked in the interview, I said, what's the difference between those two teachers? What accounts for one teacher, you know, just what account, what's the X factor there? And, and I'll never forget his answer. He said, you know, every teacher starts off idealistic. Every teacher sort, sort of begins their career wanting to change the world, wanting to make a difference, just loving kids. And, and then you're in, in education for, for a few years and you realize it's hard. You know, sometimes the parents can be challenging. Sometimes you get some kids who have attitudes in the classroom and maybe your principal you think is a jerk and there's all these like, man, unfunded mandates coming down and so they're in papers take forever to grade. And so you start encountering these challenges and, and, and what the applicant said is he said, you know, every teacher, they hit that point where it's like a reality check. And, and some teachers are not able to recover from that. They're not able to hold on to their why in, uh, in the midst of all of those challenges. There's other teachers though, uh, those ones that end up really changing kids' lives and being memorable and leaving phenomenal legacies, they're the ones who can battle through all of those external challenges. They realize that we can't control the parents, I can't control my boss, I can't control my class size, I can't, maybe I can't even control the subject I'm teaching, but every single day I can control the energy that I bring to the classroom, I can control the, the compassion and the love I have for my kids, and I can control my commitment to making a difference for them and creating a brighter future. So it's, those teachers who have these 35, 40 year careers and, and change hundreds and thousands of lives, they're the ones who, when they hit that reality check, they just kept on trucking. And they said, you know what? This is my calling and I am fired up, I'm passionate, and I'm just gonna keep doing it. So it's, they're able to retain that passion. That's kind of a long answer, but it, you know, passion is, is certainly the, you gotta have passion. You gotta be in it for the kids. When I'm interviewing, it, one of the first things I wanna hear in an interview is I want it to be crystal clear that this person loves kids. Like they don't have to say the word I love kids, but it needs to be obvious that, you know, we, at my school, we're, we're passionate about student achievement. We're passionate about trying to raise our test scores higher than they were last year. But there is no educator that got into business for raising test scores. We're here to make a difference for kids. 
So that has to be obvious, you know, in an interview. Um, yeah, that, that's, those are my thoughts there. As a, as a principal, like you said, you've got teachers at, at both ends of that spectrum. Uh, so I would assume, you know, uh, as a principal, you look at it and you look at those teachers and you want to keep the ones uh, at the higher end of the spectrum. You want to keep those up there while probably moving the, the people in the middle, uh, you know, over to the high end and then either getting rid of or moving the people at the low end to the middle end of the spectrum. Do you is that the way you think of it when you're thinking about your employees or, or your, uh, not your employees, your, your teachers that you have at your school? Uh, and if so, you know, is that something that you, you know, almost not put them in a group, but you may confront a teacher that's on the lower end of that spectrum a little bit differently than you will at a teacher that you're trying to keep at the high end of the spectrum? So a, uh, sort of, let me back up a second and, uh, and first, I want to answer a question that you didn't ask, but it's an important thing for me to get out there. Is I learned early in my administrative career, after about two or three years of being an assistant principal, I learned that the most important thing that I need to do is to support teachers. I, uh, I shared with some folks uh, recently that I, I had been an AP at the school for two years and the principal resigned. And so I thought I was next in line to become principal. And the summer of the interviews, I remember the principal saying, Danny, uh, we were driving in a car on the way back from the meeting. He said, I think some of the teachers see you more of a, as an advocate for kids than for teachers. And I, that really was kind of a blow to me. And I, I resented the fact that, that they would hold it against me that I was advocating for kids. But what I realized, what I learned is that more than anything else, I need to figure out how to win over the adults in the building. Hmm. Because as an administrator, you will be defined by your ability to support your teachers. And so, you know, about 13, 14 years ago, I had kind of an administrative paradigm shift. Uh, I still love the kids. I'm still all about the kids for sure. And we're never going to do kids wrong. We're always going to do right by the, by the students. But, but my, as an administrator, my focus is winning over teachers and supporting teachers. So I... That's my, that's kind of my mission in school is to do everything I can to support and encourage teachers. And you can, you can't, you can't get caught up judging your staff, like who is worthy of support and who isn't. I mean, every single one of my teachers deserves, uh, deserves my respect. They deserve my support. They deserve my encouragement. And, and I've learned that when you are relentless about supporting your staff, uh, morale is high. I mean, sometimes people, people have like written books on raising staff morale, and sometimes people wonder how do you raise staff morale. I just don't think it's that complicated. People want to be valued. That's, that's bottom line. If, in my experience, um, in my experience, if teachers feel valued, if they feel respected, if they feel encouraged, they will move mountains for you if they can. So I, uh, I, I will do anything I can to support my teachers. And, um, and I, I, can't, I can't allow myself to get caught up in trying to figure out which teacher deserves the most support. Um, you know, there are some teachers, I suppose, like, you know, some, some as you know, some teachers, they're just fired up. And they're going to, whatever the administration says, the teachers, some teachers are going to jump on and say, okay, let's go. And so 
they're the ones, those are the ones that sort of help drive the bus. I mean, they're that sort of leadership team, whether it's a formal leadership team or not, those, those staff members with the positive energy who are on board with the vision of the leadership, they're the ones that are moving the, the school forward. And, you know, if, if you wait, if you wait till 100% of your staff members are on board with something to, to do something, to pull the trigger on something, you're never going to do anything because you're never going to get 100% of your teachers to agree on anything. And so that was kind of a, that's a lesson that, that administrators have to learn is you do have to have some thick skin and you have to be okay with the fact that not every staff member is, is going to like every decision that you do. But I try to be very transparent with my values, uh, you know, every day. And hopefully everyone in our building understands that everything I do is going to be driven by what's best for kids. So, um, you know, teachers, you've heard the expression light bulb moment, right? Mm -hmm. That's the rewarding moment for kids. I mean, for teachers, when the teacher gets it, T teachers, as an administrator, we don't really have light bulb moments because we don't teach the kids. But what I've learned is that my light bulb moments are when I can do something to lighten the load of one of my teachers. That's, that fires me up. Um, that's, that's sort of kind of where I get my... Uh, it's that's a rewarding part of my job is supporting the teachers and when you support the teachers morale in the building is going to be high that's my experience i think it has a, a lot of parallels too i mean obviously we're we're a, mainly a football coaches podcast but you know the, the head coach of a football team is a lot like the principal you know he has to do a lot of the jobs that aren't very so-called sexy you know he's got to He's got to do the parent meetings. You know, he's got to handle the discipline. He's got to, he's got to handle all the scheduling and the, the, the small things that are within a program. So, you know, your teachers can go out and do what they do. Same thing with the head coach. My position coaches can go out and do what they do. So that was one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to, to bring you on because obviously we're all educators first. You know, that's what pays most of our salary. And then, you know, football pays kind of the, the other part of it. But I just think there's so many similarities between, you know, leadership positions, whether it be at a business, be it education, be it a football program. But you've talked a lot about being able to manage people. You know, what, what are your biggest, you know, say strengths or things you're trying to focus on when you are trying to manage them? I know you've already said, hey, I'm here to support you and I'm here to make sure that I, I you know, take a load off of you. What are some other things that you do to try to manage all those different personalities that you have within one building? One of the best lines I ever heard uh, is there was a, a baseball coach who um, here in Alabama, he, in 1998, his team won the national championship in baseball for, you know, as much as you can have a, a national championship in a high school sport. Um, he was the national coach of the year and uh, won nine state championships in the nineties and he would, he would do these coaching clinics for coaches. And this is what he would tell the young coaches. He would say, don't worry about winning ball games, win the kids. If you win the kids, the games will take care of themselves. So I have said that at faculty meetings, like I've quoted that coach at our faculty meeting before, uh, talking about the importance of winning kids. And, you know, it's not that simple that you, you don't have to worry about the lesson, 
But you guys know as teachers that if you haven't won the kids, it does not matter how awesome your lesson is. You have, so, so bottom line, everything starts with relationships. Um, you know, you, you guys know, uh, if you follow me at all on Twitter, that, I, that for me it starts and ends with culture. And culture starts and ends with relationships. And so, you know, as, as, a, as a coach, as a head coach, you are building culture in your, in your, uh, on your team, in your organization. And without the right culture, I mean, if you've got some stud athletes, you're going to pick up some wins for sure. But over time, if you don't have the right culture, it's not going to stay. I mean, because those athletes, if, the, if there's not good energy in the locker room, eventually those athletes will find other schools uh, or, and your assistant coaches aren't going to want to be around. Um, when I've been interviewed before for principals, one of the things that I've said when they've asked me about kind of my leadership philosophy is, you know, before they buy into my vision for the school or before they buy into my vision for the football team, these players, these uh, assistant coaches, they have to first buy into me. So it, it is a process from the very beginning, there has to be a commitment to establishing credibility and building relationships. And when you've built those relationships, and, uh, and certainly one of my goals is to build leadership capacity with my, with my assistant principal, uh, or if it's your assistant coaches, uh, you're trying to build leadership capacity, you're, you're developing trust and, um, uh, you know, commitment to bringing positive energy and, and keeping everyone focused on, focused on the goal. And um, as Nick Saban says, focused on the process. Do you say Nick Saban because you're a Roll Tide guy? Well, I married into it. I, I was born <laughs> in Philadelphia, grew up, went to high school in Georgia, but my, my wife is from Tuscaloosa. And so my oldest son is a sophomore there at the university. And her granddad was a professor there for 48 years, so they still live in Tuscaloosa, so I really have no choice but to be a, <laughs> be a bad fan. But, I mean, it's not a bad thing to be a Bama fan. They're, they're, uh, they're decent. That's exactly right. <clears throat> so there's worse programs you could be a fan of. I know that. Kind of, you know, switching gears a little bit, the, the interesting thing to me right now in, uh, in education – uh, is, is the technology side of education. You know, there, there's so much, and, and you can get real, I don't want to say hippie, but you get real hippie with it and, and, and get, uh, you know, where you could you get in the mindset where it could almost be all online virtual stuff, but then, again, you lose out on so much of the interaction that these kids need and all the extra stuff that kids are learning outside of what's in a textbook, what's online. But um, I, I always find it interesting the balance of how much now technology does come into the classroom is that something that you guys are are evaluating and, and looking at uh, yearly to see how much you want to bring in how much you want to keep out so you still can have these relationships through um, you know teacher to student contact well I actually sat for an hour and a half this morning in uh, in some training myself we um, I've got three math teachers, and we, as a school, we pulled some money together and invested 
um, a big chunk of change in these sharp um, interactive panels. They're like these 70 inch TVs or they're like, you know, smart board on steroids. They're just phenomenal what they can do. And so these are going to be the, the new teaching tool that our, our teachers have. So technology is a tool. I mean, it's, it's nothing more than a tool and it can help teachers and coaches do their job more efficiently. Uh, and it can at times be more engaging in the classroom, I can't think of how technology could be a whole lot more engaging um, with with coaching football. I guess it can make film uh, film sessions a little bit more engaging because of the, the cool things you can do with the software. But um, but there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that's ever going to replace the interact in my in my opinion from my from my perspective. There's nothing that's going to replace. The, the relationship, the interaction between the, the coach and the player or the teacher and the student. So, I mean, we want as much technology as we can get, but, um, but I can say as a, if, if I were a classroom teacher now, I wouldn't really be interested in just sort of monitoring a distance learning lab where the kids are just sitting there self-directed, managing their own learning. I'm not saying there's not a place for that. and, and and there's value to that. And, and those distance learning labs allows flexibility in terms of kids taking courses that they wouldn't have had before. So there's value to that. But, but in terms of my, you know, where I'm coming from as an educator, what fires me up is, is connecting with kids and building relationships. And, you know, you don't build relationships with computers. So, uh, you know, uh, we want as much technology as we can get because I think it helps the teacher and gives them more options and more tools. But certainly we're mindful that nothing is ever going to substitute for uh, an engaging teacher. One of the, the hot button topics I know, and it seems like in every staff meeting is, is cell phones, you know, and which I, I honestly think it's hilarious because, you know, they'll, the teachers will complain about kids being on their cell phones in class and not being engaged. And then I'll take a look around the room and we'll have, you know, 40 teachers on their cell phone in the middle of a, of a staff meeting. So I think it's always a pretty fun joke for me, but you know, what, what's kind of your, your thinking or your policy on, you know, cell phone usages, obviously there's a lot of positives and there's a lot of negatives. You could probably argue either side, but, you know, what, what would be some arguments that maybe you would make for your position on that? My dad, I remember growing up, my dad used to always say, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, you know, any tool can be abused. Once upon a time, a pencil was technology. Well, kids throw pencils across the room at each other. You might have some kid stabs another kid with a pencil. That doesn't mean we're going to ban pencils. So if, if, you know, my opinion is if you're trying to figure out how to, uh, get rid of cell phones from school, uh, you're just spitting in the wind and barking up the wrong tree because that's just not the world we're in and that's certainly not our future. So it's a matter of, uh, it's a matter of training teachers on applications, you know, good applications for uh, cell phones in the classroom. It's a matter of uh, teaching students digital citizenship and responsibility. Uh, in my school, in our school, teachers essentially, uh, they're able to, to manage it in the classroom however they like. I mean, 
I don't want any of my teachers just using the cell phone as, as a babysitter. Uh, but, but if teachers, if teachers want to, uh, let kids look something up in class, uh, on their cell phone, then that's fine with me. If, if the kids are doing some independent work and the teacher doesn't mind if they put earbuds in and listen to music, that's absolutely fine with me. It's going to, you know, my 19 year old is more effective in high school. He was more effective doing homework when he was able to listen to music while he was doing it. So, um, uh, I, I trust the professional judgment of my teachers there. And um, I think, you know, we don't ever want to go and be dragged. We don't want to be dragged into the future kicking and screaming. So it's a matter of just learning how to, to effectively manage it. I, I think cell phone is just a matter of classroom management. Uh, you know, there are some teachers who, that I've been around who the cell phone is a non-issue because they've got guidelines. They've been clear with expectations and they ensure that the students take those guidelines seriously. And so it's a non-issue. There's other teachers uh, that I've been around at, at multiple schools and it's a constant thorn in their side. But kids talking is a thorn in their side and kids walking in late is a thorn in their side and kids not coming prepared is a thorn. It's just a matter of classroom management. I couldn't agree more. I think it's one of those things, you know, that it should be up to the teacher. And like you said, you know, if, if you've done your job managing it's just going to be a, a tool that you can use. And honestly, you know, Coach Harper and I have used, you know, cell phones a lot with our players. It's, it's a great way to, to connect with those guys because we, we've found different, you know, programs like Team Attack uh, and apps to be able to share video with kids, to be able to share information, share messages. Um, and, and, you know, they're not going to get on a computer. They're not going to get on a laptop. So it's a, it's a very, very powerful tool, we feel like, where we can kind of get a little bit of mind share with those kids, uh, you know, Hey, they're not on Snapchat. They're learning football, you know, or yeah. they're, they're not on, on, you know, whatever, whatever else it might be. They're, they're not using, they're using it actually responsibly. And there's ways that we can check those things. And again, we're, we're speaking their language. So I know coach Harper and myself, and I don't, you know, I don't want to speak for, for coach Harper, but we feel like it's a, a very invaluable tool when used correctly. Yeah, no, I, yeah. definitely. I mean, I definitely do. Uh, it was something we're lucky enough at our high school. Our kids are, are given uh, laptops. Every kid is. He gets a laptop, and, and we make some of these PowerPoints available to them, you know, and they can check it on their laptop or they can check it on their phone. And I think 99% of the time they're checking it on their phone. You know, it, it just is it, like it is is what's going on. So being able to reach them through that, and, and I, you know, I think there's just so much. Again, I just kind of go back to – it's like there's just so much knowledge on that and you know you can as long as as you know the sites to look at you know how to check sources with with what you're checking uh through your phone it, it's just you can be so much more intelligent and, and know so many more things and and in a you know the snap of a finger not only is it a valuable tool but you know educators everywhere talk about the importance of teaching kids responsibility well you can't teach kids responsibility if you don't ever give them freedom so right. I mean, sometimes kids are going to make mistakes, but that's our job as the adults. That's our job as the educator is to uh, coach them through what, what we expect and um, teach them what we expect. And, you know, sometimes teenagers are going to do dumb things. Uh, you know, sometimes teachers do dumb things, but, but it, is a, it is a valuable tool for sure. And, a, and certainly a basic principle in connecting with kids is you've got to meet them in their world you got to meet them on their turf and certainly cell phones is that's, that's their world. 
I think you bring up a great point about the, the freedom. You know, I, I think when I was a younger teacher, I, I tried probably to, to control a lot more things in the classroom. And then as I've gotten older and I've, I've been able to, to see things and all of a sudden see the, the amazing things that kids can do, when you kind of just give them a, a couple of parameters and then let them roll, especially after something that maybe they're passionate about, you, you get so much more engagement and you get so much more, I think, you know, deep level learning. And, I, and I've tried to carry it over even to my, my football career where it's like I'm not totally critiquing every little thing all the time. You know, give them the set of standards, give them the guidelines you want, and then let those guys go figure out kind of what works for them and what doesn't work. Because, you know, like, like your, your classroom, you've already talked about it. You'll have affluent kids. You'll have kids that don't have money. You have kids that learn really, really quickly. You have kids that are visual. You have kids that have to move around. It's the same thing on the football field. I have a receiver that's 5'8". I got a receiver that's 6'5". I can't teach those guys the same. It's all going to be, be different. So to me, that's been like the, the biggest exciting thing, I think, in education is some more of that freedom. And then I guess now the new buzzword with the, the differentiation of education. Have either of you guys read the book Drive by Daniel Pink? I have not. No, I haven't. So um, put, that on your, put that on your radar. Um, and I've actually not read it either, but I've bought it. <laughs> the first time. But I've, I know enough to know what it's about and what his premise is. Um, he's a internationally known business thinker, and he's written several New York Times bestsellers in, in the book Drive, came out about 10 years ago or something. But it's about motivation and what motivates us. And so uh, I'll share the nutshell here real quick with you, but I think it will resonate with you. I think you already know it basically intuitively, but um, – uh, it's helpful, I've learned, to be able to articulate it, and I'm trying to figure out how to apply it to my faculty and what it means, and it's also applicable uh, on the ball field with coaches. But, you know, there's extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, and extrinsic is giving rewards and incentives, and that's mostly what businesses do, and all the research shows that that doesn't work. That's just not that effective. Intrinsic motivation is what really works. Uh, when people are motivated, it's, it's really an inside job. And so the research that he talks about has identified three factors that contribute to people's motivation. And you just, you touched on them when you talked about, um, uh, when you were talking about sort of, you know, independence and freedom. So one of the factors has to do with autonomy. People are more motivated when they're self-directed or, you know, when they're not micromanaged. You think as a teacher, you think about if you're feeling micromanaged by your administration, what does that do to your morale and your motivation, right? It's, it's terrible. The second factor uh, is competence or mastery. When people feel confident in what they're doing, then, uh, then they're more motivated. So you talked about that drill. You need to explain the technique of how to do the drill so they feel confident in doing it. But if they feel probably like if you're judging every little thing and micromanaging, picking apart their, everything they're doing, then they're not going to feel competent and they're not going to be as motivated. The third factor then is a sense of purpose. They feel like what they're doing matters. So for, 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 for me, as a principal in faculty meetings, I'm always talking about our purpose in terms of making a difference for kids. And that is our ultimate meaning. So... That's part of what I'm thinking through, been thinking through the summer, is those three facets that, that control motivation. How does that affect school culture? But 
those, those factors, you know, he's not an educator and he didn't write this book for education. His, that research is, is talking about what motivates all humans. And that, so that's just not teachers, but that's offensive tackles and wide receivers and quarterbacks and defensive coordinators. Everyone is sort of motivated by some of the same stuff. So that, that's a, it's an interesting read, or I'm thinking it's going to be an interesting read, but I know that that's what the, the book is about. You talk, you know, obviously you're, you're talking about, you know, reading a book right now. And I think it's, it's one of the things that I wish that I would have thought was more important or, or cooler or, or whatever that is when I was growing up. I was always good at reading. I, I just never wanted to read really. And now it's like, it's like I don't have enough time in the day to read different books that I, that I can't wait to read and learn or, or, uh, you know, I buy the audio book uh, through Audible and, and uh, listen to it, you know, while I work out, while I do anything like that. Now, is that something that you are mindfully, as a, as a, you know, as a principal at a middle school, is that something that you're mindfully trying to uh, somehow work in uh, with the kids at your school? Because, uh, you know, you hear about all of these Fortune 500 um, CEOs and, and a lot of successful, intelligent people. And, and one of the big things that they have in common, if you read any of these books about common habits of successful people is, is they're reading, you know, 12 books a year or whatever that number is. They're, they're constantly reading or, like I said, listening to the audio versions of books. I'm a bad example. I mean, I, I'm trying to get better, but I will, I will confess that I have not been a strong, uh, a strong example for reading. And I've not read nearly as much professional literature as I should uh, I, but I'm trying to get better. I mean, I've read, a, I've read um, uh, about three or four books this summer, which is a lot for me because there have been summers where I didn't read anything. So, um, but one of my goals as a principal, though, this year that I'm going to be talking to our leadership team about this next week is what does it mean for us to be a culture of reading, to be a, become a school of readers, uh, not just for the students, but the adults have to uh, have to be leading by example. Um, the research on school improvement is unambiguous. If you want to transform a school, uh, you you focus on literacy. You you cultivate reading. So I know that that's what we need in school. But just from a, a productivity standpoint, I mean. I got on Twitter a couple years ago and I thought I was a good principal until I got on Twitter and found out what principals around the country are doing. <laughs> principals in Wisconsin and Minnesota and Oregon and New York. I felt like, man, they're kicking my butt. And I started feeling downright inadequate. So re what it does, what Twitter does and what reading does is it opens your world to new possibilities. It broadens your horizons and it inspires you with the fact that, man, you got a lot of stuff to learn that you can become better. And I mean, so it's a, um, whether it's reading, uh, you know, biographies of coaches or reading about the coaching philosophies of great coaches or reading about what motivates human behavior. Um, we get better at what we do uh, in part by exposing ourselves to the ideas of others. I need to do a better job. I need to set a better example, but I'm working at it. I'm trying. I think that's so true. And I mean, I think, you know, so many people maybe, you know, that you just get stuck in your, your habits, you know, you, you just continue to do the things that you're, you're already proficient at or that you're already a master at. 
rather than, you know, stepping out of that comfort zone and, and maybe having a, a reflection about here's something I'm, I'm not very good at, you know, and, and you've, you've just given an example about, Hey, you know, this, this is something that, that I need to improve on, you know, and I, and I kind of liken it to, you know, every single year you, you do the evaluation and you have a goal. Well, how many people really take that goal seriously? You know, and I think just, just trying to, to really get people to, to be serious about things. And I think it's even harder with adults and you'd probably agree, you know, kid, kids don't really know any better. You know, they're just naturally kind of improving, going along with the flow, finding out where, where they're at in the world. Whereas you'll get some of the, the adults later on in their career, you know, maybe they, they are really, really set in their ways. And yeah. uh, I, I think that gets to be, you know, a, a, a thing for, you know, how do you, how do you kind of help those guys or those girls, you know, overcome something like that? Well, think back to 15 years ago in your coaching uh, or whenever the software huddle or whatever the software that was that was coming out. Um, is it, do you think that there were some head coaches that were very, very slow to get on board with the software? Absolutely. So yeah, there, there was a ton of them that they, they, they almost like they wait to see how many guys do it. And then all of a sudden they follow the herd. Now everybody does it. So like, I, so I agree. I mean, there were some, just like there were teachers that wouldn't, you know, that don't want to learn how to use the Google apps or took forever to use. I remember having, I had a great <laughs> football coach many years ago. He was a great coach. And so I cut him some slack. He was great with kids that whatever I asked, but he would not check his email if his life depended on it. He was, he was a, he would run through a brick wall for me and do whatever I asked. And he was great with kids. And for me, that redeems a whole lot. So I cut him some slack on, check an email, but, um, you know, there are, that gets back to that motivation. And one of those factors is feeling confident that if you feel confident in what you're doing, then you're more motivated to do it. So one thing that's very significant when you're trying to get someone to step out of their comfort zone is you have to, you have to hold their hand. You have to give them enough support and enough training to where they feel secure in, in trying. Um, and it has, you have to make them feel comfortable enough that it's even okay if they fail. You gotta empower people to take risks and that's okay. Um, for me, I wrote a blog post a couple years ago when I first started writing a blog. Um, and the name of the blog post was, I'm uncomfortable. And it was, I mean, it was only a couple hundred words, but it was a, a sort of a personal journey on me learning about technology. I hated technology. I was never a technology guy. And, and if some, I, you know, I couldn't figure out anything with my computer and I was intimidated by it and I was overwhelmed and I didn't have a good attitude about it. But I sort of came to terms with the fact, I realized that it would make me a better educator if I used it. And my teachers and my students can't afford for me to be average. And so that's part, it's not just, it's not just uh, helping people uh, feel comfortable with the technical standpoint, but for me, it's also sort of appealing to their heart and their dedication in their career is, do you want to be average or do you want to be awesome? If you want to be awesome, you know, you got to learn to use this software. You got to learn to, to use this program. You got to learn this app. You got to learn to, how to communicate with your kids via text or whatever. And so that's a question that I, that I think you have to keep asking yourself is it's, 
Like it's not about us and it's not about our comfort level. It's about doing everything we can to be the best we can be for our kids or the best we can be for our assistant coaches or our teachers. So those are some thoughts there. <laughs> I, I love it. I get carried away talking sometimes. So feel free to just cut me off when you need to. <laughs> no, no way. I say that. No, I, I love the answer just because, I mean, you know, th those are the same expectations we have for, for our athletes or for our students. You know, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't sit there in the classroom and, or sit there on the practice field and let a kid just say, you know, coach, I want to be average. And, and you would be okay with that. You know, I, I don't think I know many teachers or coaches that would be okay with that. But then at the same time, they'll, they'll flip around and it's like, Hey, we're going to try to do some things here that are going to improve you as an educator. They're going to, they're going to broaden your knowledge base. It's going to maybe make things more efficient for you. So you do have more time to do the things you want to do, you know, to build the relationships with kids, spend more time in the weight room, you know, whatever it might be, give, give a, a lecture to kids about some real world applications. And then they're reluctant to do that. And in their own life, they, they will accept average or they will accept kind of the, you know, the path of least resistance just because maybe it's like, ah, you know what, I've already been in this 20 years. I'm good. I've, I've maybe earned that right to, to not have to change. Well, then don't expect your kids to do the same thing. It, it's, yeah. it's one of my all-time pet peeves. One thing I will say, though, is that uh, it's my hunch, it's my sense that, that it is a little bit easier for coaches to step out of their comfort zone with some things like learning new software than it is for the average teacher in the classroom who's not coaching. And the reason is this, and I've thought a lot about this, and I don't, it's one of the million dollar challenges for school leaders. Uh, you know, in business, there is built-in accountability to staying cutting edge. There's a bottom line, and it's profit. It's making money. And, you know, if you're, a, if you're an orthopedist, you have to make sure that your clinic has the top of the line, you know, MRI equipment, and that you're, you, you're reading. Like, you've got to be at the top. Otherwise, someone will go to another orthopedist. Like there's that built-in accountability. Well, coaches have, you know, football coaches have built-in accountability too. It's called Friday Night Lights. That if you're not bringing, I mean, your your uh, your work ethic and your uh, your level of effectiveness during the week, it's going to be on display in front of a few thousand people every Friday night. In a way that your average teacher, they don't have that accountability. So, you know, I know you could talk about test scores, but I've never in 25 years encountered a teacher who was fired because of test scores. So, like, for the most part, there is just not much academic accountability for teachers to be cutting edge. So, so for teaching, it's almost a matter of professional pride. You know, for, for football coaches, it's not just professional pride. It's you better win. I don't care how much pride you don't have. If you don't have some wins – better produce uh and and as a businessman you just can't have pride you got to make money okay well as a teacher there's not quite that same bottom line and so it, it's a just more challenging to kind of tap into that motivation for me it's a matter of trying to tap into professional pride and say hey do we want to be average for kids or do we want to be awesome for kids um so anyway, that's just a, a sort of a sidebar on the fact that 
Yeah. I, 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 hey, I, I think you bring up, I mean, so it's a, it's a great point, you know, and it, it's something, you know, coach Harper and I have, have talked a lot about, you know, and I, and I guess I'm just wondering to, to, to pick your brain, you know, what, what are maybe some, some strategies or solutions out there to try to increase either some of the, the accountability or, and I know, I know you've talked about the, the motivation aspect of it, but you know, are there, there's some policies or thoughts or research that you've read about it? Because, you know, honestly, Harp, Harp and I have been in, you know, the coaching world and we've been in the business world and, and we see that bottom line, you know, how can we kind of get more geared towards that in education? Is that possible? Well, yeah, that's obviously a, a, an important question. And I do think there is somewhat of a silver bullet. Uh, and the silver bullet is common assessments. And so um, ideally, and, and I can't, I'm not going to sit here and say that as a principal, my faculties have mastered, um, you know, I've been a principal of two schools. I'm not going to say that we've ever mastered it. Um, I, there's not too many schools out there who have just totally mastered it. But, you know, the common assessment is the idea of that uh, every several weeks, every four weeks, every nine weeks, that the teachers who are teaching the same subject or the same grade, there's a common assessment. And then you go over that data, you know, you identify, you, 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 ident you agree on the standards ahead of time, you develop this common assessment, and then you see where the students are. And, and you can, it provides, um, when you meet as a professional learning community after administering the common assessment, it provides a context for identifying best practice and identifying what, what do we need to do to improve here. It's kind of like, you know, Friday night lights on a, every four weeks um, on a, obviously a, a, a different sort of scale, but it's, it's, a, it's some accountability um, that teachers can have within their professional learning community where you're ensuring that you're insure, ensuring some parity of rigor and comparable educational experiences for kids in the school, but you're also providing a context for teachers to collaborate, share best practices, and make each other better. So I think that's the, that's the ticket, is, is ref developing and refining common assessments, and obviously that's predicated on effective professional learning communities. Yeah, switching gears just a little bit, I know, you know, one of the things you talked about as far as getting into, you know, teaching career so you can help change kids' lives and, and have them see that light bulb moment. Um, obviously, you're, and I can kind of tie this into head coaches. A lot of the head coaches we've talked about, that's why they wanted to come in and they wanted to be assistant coaches and they get to work with one group and they get really, uh, you know, they get to really know their group of kids. And then they move up to the head coaching job, and they love that, and they love getting to affect more kids. But they they lose out on on a little bit of the the intimacy that you get being a position coach. Uh, I would assume it's it's that way a little bit for you as a principal, or as for all principals as well. Get into the job to to help affect lives, change lives of kids, and as a principal, you get to affect and change more lives because you're around more kids but you lose out on a little bit of, I would assume, that intimacy that you get being a teacher, having those same kids, seeing those same kids day in and day out. Uh, have, you, have you noticed going through that? And, and if so, do you have like little fixes that you can have that, that kind of help you get back into it maybe for a day or two uh, so you can get back to a little bit of that 
what you got into it for originally? Well, you know, if I suspect that this would be a much bigger challenge for me if I was in a central office. And I've never worked in a central office. Sometimes I feel like I'd like to try, but other times I feel like I would hate it because I love kids and I love teachers. I love everything about a school building. So, you know, as long as you're in a school building, you're going to be interacting with kids and encountering kids as long as you're not staying in your office. And, and I don't, I frankly, I don't like my office. So I'm out and about in the halls and the cafeteria and carpool and, and classrooms a lot. So, um, getting to connect with kids has never been a challenge with me because I'm out of my office so much, but I will say this, you know, my goal is not just to make a difference for kids, but it's to make a difference. And you, the game changes a little bit when you move, when you become a principal, just like the game changes a little bit when you become a, a head coach is as the head coach, you're, there is a little bit more management, but you're also building capacity, leadership capacity in your assistance. And so you're making a difference by inspiring and empowering your coordinators to, um, to put together great, um, great squads. And as a principal, I'm making a difference, hopefully, by inspiring and empowering my teachers to be rock stars in their classroom. And so I'm not just trying to make a difference for kids. Like I don't define my job as an educator. I don't define my role just as making a difference for kids. But over the last 17 years, uh, I have derived a lot of joy by making a difference for, for teachers. So, you know, as a head coach, you're, um, you know, you're trying to put together a good practice and, and put, helping put together some good schemes or whatever. But you are building relationships with your assistant coaches. You are empowering them. And, you know, there's no reason why in the middle of practice you can't jump in and demonstrate a drill for a player if you're just needing to get some contact with a player. So I don't think it should ever be hard, like you talked about needing to fix, is as long as you're on a school campus, it is not that hard to connect with a kid. Dr. Steele, I know uh, you – you talk about, you know, making a, a difference and making an impact. And, and one of the things that you've done, and, and honestly, you know, this, this would be the, the only reason that, you know, Coach Harper and I had heard of you, you know, is, is your, your Twitter handle and, the, you know, the, the Steel Thoughts blog that you have started. You know, to me, it's, it's one of the, the, the cool resources that is out there. I mean, I think sometimes in education you can get kind of, you know, bogged down in a lot of the, the hardcore research and the books and, and the latest this and that. It's nice to just hear uh, stories, you know, and, and kind of your perspective and, and your thoughts about things, because I think that's kind of what, what people can really connect with. And I think that's why people, you know, tune into the Run the Power podcast is because we are storytellers and we're just two regular Joes who, who happen to love football. And uh, you're, you're much the same. You know, you, you've gone through education and you're one of these guys who really, really loves his job. And you've been able to share that passion with people. And, and now it's reached God knows how many people. So what kind of, you know, brought you to that? Was that kind of the, the same gist, you know, hey, I want to make an impact or this is another outlet for me to, to maybe share my experiences, my, my successes, my failures, and, and help, you know, as many, you know, teachers that are out there, administrators that are out there, coaches, whoever might listen to, because, you know, I think it's a, a really cool service that you provide for a lot of people and it provides a lot of cool, you know, motivation and, and, and awesome words for people 
that in, in all honesty, you would never have contact with? Well, um, it's a good question. And I certainly appreciate your, appreciate your kind words there and your encouragement. It, it, um, it makes me feel good to hear that. So thank you. Um, two, th two things that got me on Twitter that happened within a couple of weeks of each other. My brother, who is my closest friend and has been with me for the last 25 years of my career, you know, he, we talk about everything together and he knew that I was just, I was a little bit, um, you know, I felt like I was spinning my wheels a little bit in, in my profession. And he said, Danny, you need to start networking. You need to, whether it's LinkedIn or start a blog or get on Twitter or something, you need to start networking with other educators around the country. Because he has always been telling me for the last 15 years, he's been talking about the book that I will one day write and the, the speaking that I will one day do. And I never really believed him and I never really thought about it much. But he, so he always had more faith in me than I had in myself. And so he encouraged me to get on Twitter and I didn't want to. And for a few weeks, I just, I was, I was reluctant. And then a few weeks later, I was at a conference in Atlanta and I heard a guy speak who's my role model. His name is Todd Whitaker. And he happened to mention that, 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 that uh, Twitter is the best PD out there for teachers. You know, it's 24-7 free PD, and yeah. that's just the best professional learning. you got to get on Twitter. So because I idolized Todd Whitaker, I thought, well, if he says it, it's the gospel, so I've got to get on Twitter. So it was this uh, thought about professional learning, and then my brother encouraging me to network. And so I just got out there, and I started participating in some Twitter chats, but what I realized I learned is that I liked to try to express what I felt like um, other great educators were thinking. And, and I'm, I'm always transparent with my values. And so I started tweeting things that I would say at a faculty meeting. Uh, I would start tweeting things that were kind of core values for me and convictions, things that drove me things that I had learned about what teachers do to make a difference for kids. And I learned that those things I was saying on Twitter uh, found an audience, that it was resonating with people. And so for the last couple of years, it has really come home to me that teachers are hungry for inspiration. You know, going back to Daniel Pink's uh, motivation book, Drive, and one of them is Sense of Purpose, that teachers um, love to be reminded of their sense of purpose. And so we all benefit from, from being grounded in our core values, from being reminded about what drives us to come to work every day. And, um, you know, ultimately it's not about the test scores. Ultimately it's not about the wins on Friday night. Ultimately it's about the relationships we make with our kids and, and with our colleagues. So, um, that's, that's kind of what I try to do is I, I've learned that people appreciate being reminded about why they do what they do. And so I just, I try to share what I think are the core values that motivate educators. And, um, and it, it makes me feel good that other people seem to appreciate it because then it makes me feel like I'm making a difference. Well, there's no question. Like I said, I mean, it's, it's always something and you can always just kind of scroll through and you usually have a, a couple of pearls that, that, that definitely remind me because I know, you know, there's, there's certain days when the schedule can get really, really hectic and I got this and I got to do this and I got to do that, that maybe, you know, I, I might get a little bit short with somebody or you, you forget about a, a kid that might need you because I'm too mired up in, in my needs and, and just reading some things like that sometimes just gives you that reminder in the morning. You're like, you know what? 
I'm going to seek out that kid that, that really needs somebody, you know, he's been struggling a little bit, or I'm going to go seek out, you know, th this other teacher who I, I know is maybe is, is struggling and, and having a rough go of it for whatever reason. And just kind of, you know, tap them on the shoulder and say, Hey, you know, have a great day, man. I hope things go well for you. I just think little reminders like that can just kind of punch you back on course when you, especially you're, you're getting really mired into, you know, the, the grind of, of every single day. So I, I think it's a really awesome thing that you do. You know, I, I, I appreciate you doing it. I appreciate that. Over the last couple of years, I've really been reminded of how many phenomenal teachers, uh, administrators and coaches there are out there in the country and across the world. Um, there are so many passionate educators. And so it's cool that we can sort of be connected. And, and I appreciate the, um, the commitment that you all make that, uh, uh, to encouraging and supporting and inspiring um, educators and coaches across the country. And, and this is certainly a cool platform in a way that, that you guys try to keep people connected and keep them in, encouraged and supported. And, you know, you guys are making a difference with what you do. So I appreciate it. Awesome, Danny. Well, man, it's, it's coming up on an hour and, uh, we don't want to, we don't want to take up too much of your time. We can sit here and, and talk forever, but, uh, we want to be respectful of your time. We just, uh, appreciate, I know you you have a busy schedule and things going on, but giving us an hour of your time and, and giving some insights to, uh, to the coaches that are, that are out there in the, the RTP nation. I mean, I know, you know, we are football coaches and we have a huge passion for that, but we are all educators and we talk about being teachers first and, and having that, uh, that, uh, that heart on our sleeves for the, the kids that we do coach. And, and I think you would probably agree that, you know, 90, 95% of the coaches out there, you know, are, are some of your most committed and, and loyal soldiers on the ground and, and they get a lot of the things done inside the school that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't really understand or, or don't, don't well, know about because we're behind the scenes, you know? Well, without a doubt, some of my most loyal employees, I, coaches that would do anything for me, um, they would pick up the slack when I forgot to pull the bleachers out for an assembly. What do you need, Dr. Jill? Let me go get the bleachers for you. Where do you need me to be? I mean, coaches are so willing to, to put in the grunt work and do what it takes. And like you said, a lot of it is behind the scenes. So, I mean, I, I was a coach for eight years and, and I have a huge appreciation for the work that coaches put in. And even as a principal, I'm aware of the fact that, that coaches put in oftentimes more hours, more work hours than the administrators do. Um, the time they put and the sacrifices they make, the sacrifices that their spouses and kids make for them to do what they do for their student athletes is incredible. So I, I appreciate I want to give a shout out to all the, all the coaches out there that are listening because they bust their butts every day and throughout the summer to do their job uh, and to make a difference for the kids and to make a difference for their school. So uh, I got a lot of love for the coaches out there. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.